So we're going to find ourselves in Matthew again. You can see that we're walking through this series has been focused on the Lord's Prayer. We've finished the Lord's Prayer, actually. That last phrase last week, we're going to do now some teaching that precedes the Lord's Prayer. You can turn to Matthew 6 is where we'll be ultimately. Uh, This whole uh, service, you've you've caught it, I think, through Anna's song and through much of what we've been singing, uh, is to be drawn to the Lord by His Spirit and to, 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 to find ourselves focused, even in the quiet place. We're going to talk about prayer. The next two weeks, we're talking about uh, where do I pray and what do I say? Today, admittedly, I'm going to take a little different direction, though Jesus talking about prayer captured my heart in the first six verses of Matthew 6, where he talks about giving, he talks about praying. That's what leads to the Lord's Prayer. And then he talks about fasting. Uh, if you've been around children much, and we'll see it with the Harkins and the, the Mocks who um, have, have presented their, their children today, little Russell, little Caroline, growing up, it won't be too long before they are, uh, sure enough, toddlers and then uh, three-year-olds who start to ask questions. Uh, a, a little toddler, often about three years old, probably three, four-year-old, will start to ask a singular question in various forms. You know what it is? All day long. Like a hundred times a day. Why? Why? Why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why? And they'll ask all these questions. Parents will hear it over and over again. Make them a little crazy. Because I think every little toddler starts to realize there's probably a reason. Something behind everything. And mom and dad seem to know the answer. Now they get a little older and they stump us, don't they? Kids grow up, and and I think the question moves from why to middle school, high school. Why not? Why why can't I do this as we start to push the boundaries, right? But why? Why is the question we're going to wrestle with today? Uh, Speaker, author, um, Simon Sinek has um, uh, presented the, the probably most watched, one of the most watched TED Talks of all time. And the title of it is Start With The Why. And his premise is, in any organization, great leaders, organizations ask the question, why? We often focus on the what and the how. He says, more important is the why. Now, you've got to know what. Like, for as a church, what our mission is. What am I doing here? What is my life about? How do I do this? What is the strategy, if you will? But the why gets to the heart of motivation. I could argue this. Jesus starts with the why. Jesus starts with the why. It's the key question for disciples. Those of us who are apprentices of Jesus, who now find ourselves responding to his grace and giving our lives fully to him, that's what the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount is all about. So don't miss this. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, he's talk, as we've said throughout, he's talking to kingdom people. These aren't normal people. These are people who are radically devoting their lives to him. And the question that I want us to ask is one that I've learned to ask over and over again in my life. Why am I doing this really? Why am I doing this? Some of you know uh, the story of Samuel in the Old Testament. The prophet's looking for a king in Israel. And uh, he's going to find David ultimately. He goes to Jesse's house and he sees Eliab, who's the eldest. You would assume it's going to be him. And then the Lord says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance, on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. You've probably read this before. For the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance. Let's all say it together. But the Lord looks at the heart. He looks at our hearts. 
Not simply our actions, but why we do what we do. Now think about this. So much of what we do in our spiritual lives is, is seen. It's public, right? And admittedly, for someone like me, I think of Stephen or some of our leaders here in the church, we're seen. This is why this passage we're looking at today has been really um, challenging for me, real convicting. Those who are seen uh, doing our spiritual thing in front of others really need to test our hearts. But this is for all of us. We go to church and we're seen. You're affirmed for being here today. Maybe you felt good that you, you were here. I was coming over from the chapel early and one of our members came by and they, they said real quick, hey, um, I promise I'm not leaving. I'm, I'm going over here to, to serve. You know, we feel like, wait, I'm getting caught. We want to be seen doing the right thing, don't we? And that's a good thing. We serve others and we're seen often. It's in our private prayer lives that we're not seen. Jesus says, you want to test your heart? It'll happen in the private place. Because God sees. The Father sees. You know, we, we, we give to the church and often not seen, right? But, but this gets really interesting. We, we want to put our names on things, don't we? Universities do this often. Donors, uh, you know, parks are named after them, or you go to a museum, statues or artwork is named after a patron or a benefactor. We, we kind of like to put our name on some things. In fact, I think it's why some of us are motivated to give. Maybe outside the church, we don't put our names on things here and we'll see why this is the case. The, the challenge on the inward outward relationship of the heart is revealed in our daily activities too. Um, why? Are we sometimes one way at home and we're another way in public? Why is it sometimes we're, we're the kindest to people we don't even know and then we're really harsh and sometimes unloving with people we're supposed to be loving well? Have you ever been maybe in a conversation in conflict and then the phone rings? <laughs> hey, how are you doing? We're having a wonderful day actually. Hey. You show up on campus. You've been arguing all the way here with the family. And then you show up on campus and we're, hey, brother, it's a great day to worship the Lord, isn't it? We all do it. And it's not just some of us. We all wrestle with this. I remember as a youth pastor for so many years, uh, I would see students, young people who would really struggle with their faith. And even we talk about often those that are leaving the church after they grow up in the church. And often it's because of the duplicity that they see in their parents who might go to church every week, but they don't follow Jesus every day. You see, this is very important. Jesus wants us to live lives of integrity. And so again, turn to Matthew 6, and I'll set this up and put it into context. See, true spirituality, righteousness, Jesus says, is different. We live differently. Most of what we do that matters for eternity is not seen. He wants us to live lives of integrity. We're going to see that today. Integrated. You know the word integer. It's a whole number. Whole. A whole life. Not a life. This is a word on repeat today. Of the hypocrite. Hypocrisy. Literally the etymology of the word means separated. Your heart and your actions are separated. Now think with me. Most of us would understand when I say that Christianity, we say it often, is not a religion, but a relationship. It's different from all other religions. 
It's not us trying to get to God. A holy God, how good would you have to be, right? Perfect. It's God instead coming to us in the person of Jesus. He comes to not only die on the cross for our sins to forgive us, yes, but even before that, he lives the perfect life. He comes not simply as our example, that would be a religion that bears his name. He comes as our substitute to very different things. We enter into relationship with him as we receive his gift of grace, his forgiveness, his sacrifice on the cross for us. And so now I enter into relationship with him. My entire Christian life is marked by the fact that now I have a relationship with God through Christ with the Holy Spirit living in me. Would you agree with that? That's what Christianity is. Relationship, not religion. You can shake your head if you say yes. How's that going for you? Is your life completely focused? Your number one pursuit is an ongoing, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit living in that Trinitarian dance all the time. That is the passion of your soul. If not, you may not be a believer. You may not, you certainly may not be a disciple because those who are disciples, Jesus says, will live a life that's born out of private prayer. As is, is, is Anna saying, it, it's born out of private prayer before the Lord. And then I go to love all of mankind, everyone. It starts with a Why? Why am I even in this? Why do I do this? Do I do it to be seen? Do I do it for public praise? Or do I do it because I love him? Now, here's the tension. Matthew 5, 16. He's already said, listen, let your light shine before men, before others, that they might see your good works and glorify your father who's in heaven. But we get our motives twisted. And this is what Jesus is going to teach us today. A key focus for us all today is this phrase I want you to hear over and over again, even in your mind this week. Hypocrisy happens. It happens for all of us. Hypocrisy happens in various ways. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He starts with the Beatitudes, right? And then he does something really interesting. It must have been so radical for his first hearers. We start to realize why the Pharisees, the Sadducees, other religious leaders came around him because in, with the Sermon on the Mount, this manifesto for Christian living, he has this paralleled pattern throughout. First, he'll say, here's a command. And they've all heard it. They're all shaking their heads. Here's a command of God. However, he says, but this, but, but I say, Jesus said, you got it all wrong. You got this wrong. But I say, and then he offers Uh, He gets underneath the command to the heart of God in the command. And then he offers a call to action. It's why he says uh, in Matthew 5, anger is murder. Lust is adultery. He doesn't separate the two. He says you're to love others and that means enemy love. It means going the extra mile. And then he says, he closes that teaching by saying, right where we're about to go, in the latter part of chapter five, he says, but, but you gotta be perfect, complete, here's the word, whole, like your father is whole. He's saying the only way to live this out 
is not by simply doing the right things, but by doing the right things for the right reasons. And this is at the heart of his teaching. He says hypocrisy will be the constant challenge for the disciple. This is why he's teaching us now. And in Matthew chapter six, here we are, verse one. Beware. They didn't always say that. Watch out, he says to us. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Okay, doing good things, your religiosity, your living out your, your, your life before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward for your, from your father who's in heaven. And look at this. He, he offers the motive in order to be seen by them. Here in chapter six, he's going to offer three practices that were part of the, every Hebrew's life and, and, and every Christian disciple's life. He says, when you give, give like this. We'll see that. Then he said, when you pray, pray like this. He enters the Lord's Prayer, where we've been. And then he says, and when you fast, fast like this. Not if. These are assumed, expected practices of every believer. When you give, do it like this. When you pray, pray like this. When you fast, fast like this. And, and, and he, he's going to offer now teaching, beware of doing these things to be seen. Look at verse 2. Thus. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. This is where we get that term, don't toot your own horn. This is where we get it. And they were literally, this commentators would note, this was actually done. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, they want to be seen that they may be praised by others. There's the motive. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What, What reward? They wanted to be seen. They were seen, game over. That's what they wanted. That's what they got. And this is where he introduces the word hypocrites to us. Literally two-faced, masked actors. You might know this. uh, Playing a part like in the Greco-Roman theater. Don't do it. So the first thing I want you to see is hypocrisy happens when I'm motivated by religious reputation rather than total transformation. See, two keys on, two two words on, on repeat hypocrisy and motivation motivated by at the heart of our spiritual lives is our motivation see sanctification okay once we come to christ becoming like jesus is this process it's a total renovation of the heart this is why i'm saying it's not religious reputation rather it's total transformation that's what jesus is getting to that's what the spirit is doing in our hearts And this doesn't happen until our hearts match up with what we're doing. You can flip it around. What we do matches up with our hearts. We become complete. We become whole. Not hypocrites. Because the opposite of hypocrisy is integrity. The opposite of hypocrisy is an integrated heart. Motivated to give glory to God in all things, not to ourselves. This gets really insidious. It gets tricky. And I want want you to ask the question of yourself. Why do I do what I do? Look at verse three. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. An, An idiom, basically something so close to you as your left hand, wouldn't even know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you give, don't seek recognition. We don't do that because we're seeking to bring glory to him. And the moment that glory turns to us, 
We've received our reward. So he's not only saying hypocrisy happens when we're motivated by religious reputation rather than total transformation, but hypocrisy happens when I'm motivated by temporal recognition rather than eternal reward. Temporal recognition. You got what you looked, what you wanted, and you got it. There's no eternal reward involved here because it's a matter of the heart. Scriptures tell us uh, we should celebrate and honor those who lead us and who serve us. So this gets a little interesting in the church, doesn't it? We do share testimonies of people who are serving the Lord. And we, we do highlight those who serve us or maybe honor people who serve. But we, we don't talk nearly probably enough about giving as we should, frankly. Um, because it's hard to do so. We don't want to just highlight or say, I did this and here's what I did. And so, because we know of verses like this. But we can honor and, 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 ex, and really inspire people by telling stories, I think. You might imagine as a pastor, I don't want to know what anybody gives. Because every gift, watch this, matters. Whether big or small. I say it this way, if you have a little, give a little. If you have some, give some. If you have a lot, give a lot. Because the whole church works together and we do it all to the glory of God. There's another test. Your giving is not really seen. And, and it's a test, the Lord is saying. You do it privately. It's why a lot of people don't give. Nobody knows I'm doing this. Nobody knows I'm praying, so I don't really pray a whole lot when nobody can see. How about you? Are you a prayer in private? Are you a giver? You know, I, I don't always know what people give. Again, I don't want to know, but sometimes I know. Because sometimes this has happened over the past couple of years. Uh, especially we've had folks who've come and said, hey, we don't want anyone to know this. Anyone in the church to know. But we'd like to talk to you, not just for you to know, but so that we can leverage this, this amount of money for kingdom purposes. We give to the unified budget. We think we can do something above and beyond. What are the needs? So sometimes that happens. You can imagine because of lead gifts like that, we're able, all of us to do our part. Our whole kid space was renovated and paid for during COVID when we were hardly even here. And now kids are over there now learning and growing in the Lord. Young couples bringing their children. I had a couple, um, a couple of years ago that said, hey, we're, we've sold our, our business and we would like to do something that would really raise up the next generation of leaders. We started to pray about that. And we said, well, here's a couple of options. And one that came to the table was, uh, what, we're, we're going to launch a residency. And it, we need money to do that. And so we, we've launched our first class of residents. Right now, Caleb Rhodes, one of our residents, is preaching in the Great Hall right now. These are folks who are young people who are being trained up to serve, meeting every week. And, 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 and in our residency program, an incredible blessing to us all. All because a couple you don't know, well, many of you know, but you don't know that they gave in a way that now is blessing the next generation. And Jesus uses this hyperbole. He says, and don't do it though in a way that others would see it because righteousness is motivated by faith, not by sight. He says, it's the motive, not, not the method. The, the motive matters. You've heard it said, the ends justify the means, not in the kingdom of God. 
The means matter as much as the end. I could almost argue in some cases, why you do what you do matters more than what you're doing in the kingdom. Because here's the truth I want you to hold on to. In the kingdom, doing the right things for the wrong reasons is worthless before God Almighty. Now, can he take our twisted motivations and, and use them to his glory? Surely he can. But our end game is to glorify him. But every gift that we give, big or small, listen, God sees. He sees your every gift. And he sees why you do what you do. That's where Jesus says you're seen by the Father. Every simple act of kindness, God sees. Even when others don't. Look at verse five. Now he shifts to prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the corners, uh, street corners that they may be seen by others. And commentators, again, historians note that they literally would do this. Go out at a time when it was crowded to be seen. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What is it? To be seen. They were seen. Game over. So he's saying hypocrisy happens. Here it is. When I'm motivated by getting glory from others rather than giving glory to God. I seek to glorify myself. Now this again, it gets real interesting. Look at verse six. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying the marks of righteousness, true righteousness, is in private, not public. Now, will it matter? Will it be known that you've been with Jesus? You bet it will. You'll live your life in such a way that you're seeking to serve others. They'll say of you, like they did the disciples, it seems they've been, he, she's been with Jesus. Because they look a lot like him. Think about it. There are very few things, again, that we do where we're not seen by others and validated. Jesus says, your private prayer life will reveal your motivation. Why you follow God will be marked by your private prayer life. But, you know, we, we tend to do it, don't we? We kind of create this system. If you look good, sound good, do good, we're going we're gonna to push you up. You're going to be important. And, 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 and really in the kingdom of God, God cares more about what you do in private than what you do in public. Because doing the right things for the wrong reasons is worthless in the kingdom of God. And you may do the right things really well for the wrong reasons. Here we see the... The, 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 the center of prayer, Jesus is saying, there's this posture of prayer. I was worshiping earlier, just sensing the, the whole service today has been marked by humility. Humility of song, humility of heart, coming before the Lord. The posture of prayer is one of humility in private prayer. And then we see the, the, the promise of prayer, which is the Father sees you. It's prayer is an act of faith, right? Private prayer, nobody watching. God's watching. He hears my prayers. And we see too the prize of prayer. We get him. And he's enough. Not the applause of men. We get him. See, you can see why hypocrisy is a never-ending challenge. We must constantly test our motives. And so I want you to think about your own life. You know, it's the busy business man or a businesswoman who is working so hard they have they have no time to even spend with their family i'm doing it all for them they fool themselves 
Or, or the person who says, well, I you know, kind of love to work out. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And they're in the gym. They're eating the right thing. They're all into fashion or maybe looking just right. Because, you know, I do want to bring my best before God. Really? You see, it gets real insidious. It's the parent who says, uh, hey, I want my kids to be involved in this sport and that sport and that thing because we really want them to find their place. I'm doing it all for them. Really? As if it might reflect well on me. I have a kid that's really successful. Neglecting discipleship in the home throughout the entire process. Why do you do what you do really? Why am I doing this? Because sin is turned in on itself. Hypocrisy happens. And here's the thing. Here's why it's so sneaky. It's not just an inward desire to deceive others. But it also deceives us. We become deceived. We start to think that our spiritual lives and our success in the kingdom is actually marked by people's applause. And then the more we get it, the more we need it to make sure that we have, have worth and, and, and I do this well and I'm needed. You can imagine this really gets kind of crazy in ministry. And nowadays, to add to that, we've got the world of social media. This is so prevalent. We have Christian influencers. I mean, we, we have a whole culture. It's a Christian celebrity culture. And we tend to raise up people who have these gifts and seemingly humble and really gifted by the spirit to do these things. And then they have a platform and then they got more followers and more likes and all this stuff. And then they kind of start to turn. Their motivations are shifted. I've got to get more applause. I've got to do more of this. I'm going to write another book. I know a lot of people in ministry and I'm often asking you, why are you doing this really Because it's such a tricky thing. And then what happens often, the person we thought had it all together, then we come to find out they they have some moral failure. They spin out and we discover they were, uh uh-oh, hypocrites. And Satan has sifted us like wheat because we, we don't test our motives and why we do what we do and there this develops this new self-righteousness. If we start to believe that somehow my performance defines my true worth and identity, which cuts right to the heart of the gospel. We're not, we're not blessed and, and loved because we perform well. It's because he has extended his grace to us. And so what we need to do is remember, hypocrisy happens when I'm motivated by religious reputation rather than total transformation. Secondly, hypocrisy happens when I'm motivated by temporal recognition rather than eternal reward. Hypocrisy happens when I'm motivated by getting glory from others rather than giving glory to God. And so I'm going to close with some real application here. How might we fight against hypocrisy? First and foremost, keep your heart set on Jesus. It's why private prayer is so critical. I enter into private prayer every morning. Not everybody can do this. Maybe for you, get to the office before you get out of the car. Pray for 10 minutes. I'm going to challenge you. Some of you aren't doing this. Pray for 10 minutes every day in solitude, nobody watching from now until Easter. Just mark a time, a season where you're going to do this. 
And you're going to come before the Father who sees you in private and knows your heart. The first thing you need to do is what the old hymn writer wrote. You need to live in light of his glory and his grace. That's the first thing. But I think some real practical things. How about this week? Give to someone anonymously. Do something for somebody without being seen. And those of us who have kind of public ministries, we really need to practice these things. Find a place to serve in the church where no one knows. Right now, down the hall, down another hall, in a room, there are people who are holding little babies, pointing them to the love of God. Unseen, not applauded, the real heroes among us. When I first came here to our church, the first staff meeting I had was with our properties and service crew. Because I wanted them to know, above ministers and everybody else on staff, you are the real servants among us. The great ones among us are right now behind, behind the camera, in the t- behind the, uh, doing the tech, whatever, doing the sound so you can hear my voice right now. People who are not seen are the heroes in the kingdom. And if you're one of those, we applaud you and we praise God for you. Do something this week that nobody will know about. Make it fun. And the way you make it fun is serve someone. Take something to a neighbor, maybe a note, maybe encourage someone. And, and when you do, they didn't see me. They didn't see me. But God, you saw, you saw me. You saw that. Serve him in a way that is bringing glory to him and not to yourself. Check your heart. And remember this, in the kingdom, doing the right things for the wrong reasons is worthless. And we're so sinful, we need other people to keep us accountable. That's why many of you need to get in a connect group. You need to have relationships. Integrated life has has relationship with others who are following Jesus. Some of you need to join the church today. You You need to be baptized and proclaim to the world that you belong to Jesus. Because doing... The right things for the wrong reasons is worthless. But watch this. Doing the right things for the right reasons is priceless. It may be true. Hypocrisy happens. But this is also true. Holiness happens. Holiness happens when our hearts match up with our actions. And it can happen. We can serve the Lord in a way that brings glory to him. Motivated to bring glory to him. Not to ourselves. We can respond to his grace. We can live forgiven and we can forgive others and we can just outgrace others. But it starts in our private lives. Friends, this week, live in light, in the light of his glory and grace. And you'll bring glory to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your grace that has been extended to us. In Jesus, we thank you that your spirit has been speaking to us. And Lord, we want to get this right Not for our own good, again, but because we want to bring glory to you. In this moment, in our right minds, our right hearts, here in worship, we really do want to glorify you with our lives. May it be true throughout this week as we follow you and worship you. And may our hearts match up with our actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen.